We are starting a brand new series called He Is Coming. We're going to spend the rest of summer, we're going to do a deep dive of First and Second Thessalonians. There's eight weeks left of summer, and there's eight chapters between those two books. It's almost like it was a coincidence, or that I planned it. Um, so this morning, we're going to be diving into Thessalonians 1, but I got a couple of quick introductory notes that I need to go through just to lay the foundation of what is going on in Thessalonica, what is the significance of this church, and why was it so important that Paul had to write not just one, but two letters to this congregation of believers. So Thessalonica in the ancient times was a massively important city in the Roman Empire. Thessalonica was located on the edge of the sea. It had a natural harbor. It was a major player in the trade route for all of the Roman Empire, particularly the Roman province of Macedonia. In fact, Thessalonica was so important that they made it the capital of Macedonia. And its trade route was so vital that it, it was actually the point that connected the east to the west and the north to the south. All major trade routes, all major trade companies would have gone through Thessalonica. It was, it was, it, the description that the <laughs> geologists give it was, it was the proud capital of Macedonia. And because of all the trade route, because of all the people that were passing through, the city was about 100,000 people strong. Um, it was the epicenter of so many different religions. Not only was the Greco-Roman pantheon, so Ares and Zeus and all those guys, not only were they well represented, not only were the worship of the emperor very important there, but the Egyptian gods had set up temples and set up worship places here. And in fact, Thessalonica was home to a very large Jewish population. So it was very key in Paul and his going about and planting and spreading the gospel. It's very important that he started here because there's such a huge population of people that he wanted to share the good news of Jesus with. Um, in fact, if you look at your Bible chronologically, in newsflash, the New Testament is not set up chronological. It's set up different. Um... In the order of the letters that Paul wrote, Galatians is actually first, and Thess First Thessalonians is actually the second letter Paul ever wrote to this young church. And one of the things that we're going to see very early on in it is that Paul doesn't say to the brothers in Thessalonica, to the, the group of believers. He actually says to the church. And he doesn't say that very often. Because one of the things that we discover very early on is that the church in Thessalonica actually was able to gather. They didn't have to be like separate believers who had to share the message. This letter was probably read to a large group, and they probably were fairly well established, which in and of itself is a major miracle, as you're going to see very quickly. So before we dive into 1 Thessalonians, we have a little prequel to this um, to the story. It's actually in Acts 17, and we read about Paul's encounter with this group of people in Thessalonica. So starting in verse 1, this is what we read. Now they had passed, this being Paul and Savannah and Timothy, they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica, and there was a synagogue of the Jews. 
And Paul went in, and as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men from the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Three Sabbaths, three weeks, Paul was there talking and sharing and explaining the scriptures in light of Jesus and his sacrifice and why he had to come. Three weeks he had been there, and he got chased out of the city. This young church, young is an understatement. Paul had only been able to talk to them, mentor them, live with them for 21 days. Now, I don't know about anybody else. Think of what you can accomplish in three weeks. On my short list is not planting a church. Okay, guys, I've been here. <laughs> I've been here long enough. I'm out of here. Good luck. <laughs> That is, like, that's, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. And so what we discover is because Paul was chased out of the city so fast, and what actually later on in Acts, the next city that Paul gets to, the Jews in Thessalonica actually chase him to that city, chase him out of that one. And there's this long time of Paul not being able to spend much time in any given place because he keeps getting chased out. But he had this group. He had these these followers who were excited and wanted to follow Jesus, and he didn't get to spend much time with them, and so he becomes very concerned about him. He's worried that three weeks isn't enough. <laughs> Don't worry, Paul, it isn't. You, you, your concern is well-founded. Well and so he sends for Timothy, who he left behind with the group, and he looks for a report. And Timothy actually brings this really encouraging report which we're going to read about in Thessalonians. And so this letter is Paul writing to this young church that he didn't get to spend very much time with, trying to encourage them, because the major thing that the church was born out of is persecution. They hardly got their feet wet, and their city officials are coming against them. They're chasing out their pastor. They're chasing out their founding father. They're chasing everything out, saying that they are causing disruption. They're turning the world upside down. And so this young church, though probably taught fairly well, I don't know how much you can cram into three weeks. Anybody want to find out how much teaching we can do in three weeks? Everybody laughs. That's no. Okay, that's fine. Um, I don't know how much Paul was able to cram into them in those 21 days, but obviously it wasn't enough because he was concerned about them. And so this letter is Paul writing as a father to this young group of believers encouraging them based on the report that Timothy had shared with them. So that brings us, all that preamble, brings us to chapter 1. 
starting in verse 1. Paul, Savannah, which is the Greek name for Silas, and Timothy to the church in Thess- the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only was the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, there's three, there's a lot happening in this very short chapter, 10 verses. I've read passages longer than that. Um, But Paul has packed a lot into this very short chapter. So there's three things that I want to point out this morning for us as kind of our takeaways. Number one, Paul starts off by saying, your faith, hope, and love. When you read through the apostle all the epistles that Paul wrote, all his letters, these three things come up in a variety of different ways. The most popular and probably the most well-memorized one is 1 Corinthians 13. Everything else will fade away, but these three will remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is... Oh, I just thought, okay, is love. The greatest of these is love. (laughs) Read your Bible. Okay. Um, <laughs> thought for sure that was going to fire back at me. Okay. Um, faith, hope, and love. And, but he doesn't just say faith, hope, and love. He says the work of your faith, the labor of your love, and the steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are really important. The f- work of faith. What Paul is saying is that the report that we've heard of you is that your faith is not just words that you say. It's not just words on a page. It's not just a theory that you talk about, like, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus. But their faith was something that was visible. It was real. It was tangible. It was something that they were putting into practice day in, day out, because their faith in God inspired them to do good works. The the work of your faith has been spread throughout the whole world. We're going to talk about their story in a little bit. And so often, this is something that is something that we need to keep in mind, is the fact that our faith is not just something we talk about. It's not just a a hat we put on when it's convenient, but it is something that we live out day in, day out. It is the work of faith. And I'm not saying that we are saved by works. That's not true. You are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ poured on you at the cross. But because you are saved and because you are forgiven, because of the grace you've experienced, 
it inspires you to good works. It inspires, you should live differently because of what Jesus has accomplished in your heart and your mind. And Paul is saying, even for a young church like you, even though I was only with you for three, you figured this out. You were so radically changed that the world could see that you were different by the way you lived and by the things that you did. The work of your faith, the labor of your love. Now in the English language, we kind of see labor and work as kind of synonymous, right? They're kind of like the same thing. But in the Greek, these are actually two very different words. Work is, well, it's work. Labor is more like the hard work. So when Paul says the labor of love, he's saying you're doing the hard work. You're doing the self-denial. You are doing the extra work of love. Now, why would Paul say that? People are easy to love, right? Always. People are always easy to love. What? No. Except for Pastor Louis. He's always easy to love. We, you, you and I are not always the easiest people to love. You are very hard to love sometimes. Newsflash. Sorry to burst your bubble. And so what Paul is saying is that this church, they are doing the action, even though their brothers may be hard to love, even though the city who chased out their pastor, who persecuted them, who fined the guy who took their leaders in, even their city who's been persecuting them and making their life miserable, they have decided not to be bitter, not to hold a grudge. They have decided to do the hard work and love them in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of this hardship, the persecution, the pressure, instead of being unforgiving, instead of holding the grudge, instead of getting mad and taking it out on the people, the, this young church has made the t sometimes tough decision to say, no, you know what, even in the midst of all of this, we're going to love. We're going to love our neighbor. We're going to love our co-worker. We're going to love our master, even though they're... And it's a reminder for us that even people being difficult to love does not give you an excuse not to love them. Because guess what? If people have a tough time loving you, Jesus probably has a laundry list of things that would make you tough to love, and yet he still loves you unmeasurably, unimaginably without condition, without, he never holds back his love. He never holds back his grace and his mercy. And in the same way, and what Paul is saying is just as you have received and been overwhelmed by the love of God, you have loved your neighbor and the people around you. So good on you, church, for doing this. And the third one the steadfastness and hope. And one of the things that Paul is very big on is that even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst, because if our hope is, on, is in people, we're going to fall short. And if our hope is in anything other than the fact that Jesus Christ is returning one day, our hope is going to be, well, Paul says, if we hope in anything else, as believers in Christ, we should be pitied more than any other person. Our hope is that Jesus is coming back and he's going to make things right. He's going to make things new. We're going to be reunited with him for eternity. And everything's going to be better because Jesus is going to make it all better. 
right? That is our hope. That is the thing that we need to hold on to above all else. And Paul is saying, good on you, church, that in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of those times, it would have been easy to turn your back on Christ and turn your back on this group of believers and go back to your old way. You held on to the hope that Jesus is coming back and that even in the midst of the pain and the pressure and the persecution, the reward for being faithful and hoping and holding on to Christ is greater than the momentary discomfort you may be experiencing now. So Paul is saying, good on this young church. And it is an encouragement for us, even, you know, in the, in the big scheme of things, yes, we're happy to be back in COVID and all like packed in together and <laughs> all my extroverts are like, I can touch people. All my introverts are like, I liked you better six feet away. <laughs> well, we're happy to be close. We're happy to be like, yay, we're a family again. That was not persecution. It was uncomfortable. It was, it, we didn't like it. We were, but, and we're happy that it's gone. But we're talking about a group of people that were really facing consequences for their faith in Christ. And the, the reality is, church, is that there is, coming, there is coming a time where persecution is going to come, where your faith is going to cost you something. Your faith is going to require a price and discomfort and possibly even a little bit of pain and the question in that moment is is the hope you have in christ greater than the consequence that you're going to face because of this persecution that's coming it is coming i hate to burst your bubble again it covid was not it okay it's gonna get worse and the reason i can say that is because jesus said that Jesus said in the Gospels that it is going to get really bad for all who declare Jesus to be Lord and Savior. But it's all going to be worth it because of the hope and the reward of being faithful to the one who is, the name that is above every other name and the hope that is found in the fact that Jesus is coming back one day is going to make all things new. The second thing, that was one. (laughs) Strap in. You're all back. I'm keeping you as long as I can. Um, no, I'll be quick. Second thing is the power of the story. And I hope for those of you that were able to watch last week or join us last week, we had that missions team in and they shared their testimony. And it was awesome to have those young people share about what God was doing in their life. And even for them to stand up and be like, I believe for so long that my story didn't matter. And yet they stood up and they shared. And every one of those stories, I think, touched somebody. Because it was so good to hear them share. And Paul is saying the same thing about the, Th- the Thessalonian church. Remember, Thessalonica was a major trade route. And not only were they trading in goods, the word of what had happened in this group, in this church, was so unbelievable. They were so radically changed that those stories were actually spreading across the province of Macedonia and the neighboring province of Achaia. And Paul is saying that they even went beyond those provinces and it's, it's going everywhere. We don't even have to tell the stories anymore because your story is being told everywhere. churches everywhere are being inspired by you. People everywhere are telling your story because it was so radical, it was so amazing that people can't help but to tell your story. 
And the reality is for each and every one of us, each of us has a story. And it comes down to this. There was your life before Jesus. Jesus came in, changed everything, and your life after Jesus. And that moment where you encounter the living God and he changes everything or something, that story, whether huge and big and amazing or even small, it doesn't have to be an incredibly far-fetched story to have impact because what it is is that story is a holder for God's power and all God needs is one little detail, one little connection point with the person who's hearing it. And it doesn't have to be the person you're telling the story to. It could be who they tell the story to. All they need is that one little connection point, that one for what may seem like an insignificant detail God can take it and make it a life-changing, life-altering event for the person who's hearing that story. Your story is packed with the Holy Spirit, is packed with the power of God, and it doesn't have to be big because we serve a big God who can take a little story and have a huge impact. All God asks for us is that we be faithful in telling it. We'd be faithful in telling, what is God doing in my life today? What is God doing in my life as a whole? What did God do in my life to change everything, to put me on this path of knowing my purpose and my calling and everything that God has called me to do and to be? Because you're not even responsible for how they respond to your story. You're just responsible to tell it. And then you trust God to take care of the rest. And that, and the Thessalonian church is such a huge example of that because this young, small church, three weeks old, was having a global impact. And they didn't even have to send out missionaries to have it. They just had to tell their story. And because of their location and because of the impact that that location had, their story spread like wildfire. And your story can do the same. had a really cool object lesson, but I'm running out of time, so I got to keep going. Um, third point, and Paul closes with this, wait for the Son. Wait for the Son of God. Wait for Jesus' return, the one who is going to come and deliver us from the wrath of God, and Paul's going to unpack that later on in Thessalonians. But the way I think of waiting for the Son, and Paul's going to talk about this too, he's going to unpack the fact that so often within the church, and he doesn't just talk about it in this letter, he talks about it in every letter, that we should wait with anticipation for the return of Christ. But all too often, I think of the return of Christ like a package from Amazon. For some people, we put in the order, and then we just trust it's going to show up one day. We don't check. We don't want do the tracking thing. We don't get the text messages. We put in the order, and we wait. And then we're surprised. <gasps> My package is here. Sweet. Some of us, we, we get the text messages and we get the emails and we're checking on Amazon every day. Has it even moved? Why is it taking four days to get from Regina to Carlisle? And we stress and we freak because we want the notification. We want the package to show up so bad. We're so, and even though we know what it is, we can't wait to rip it open. And all so often, 
We do this with the return of Christ. The return, Jesus is coming back, people, and he's going to just flip everything on its head. He's going to take away all the mess and all the muck and all the mire. Then we believe it, but we don't wait with anticipation for it. We don't get excited about the idea that Jesus is coming back. We just say, yeah, it's going to happen. And Paul talks about all so often that we should not be caught off guard by the return of Christ, but we should be watching and waiting and sober-minded and self-controlled and excited because the Savior is coming back and we're going to be reunited with God for eternity. This should get us fired up. And Jesus said, here's all the signs. Here's all the signs that you will know that my return is close. You won't know the day, you won't know the hour, but you're going to know it's getting closer and closer when these things start to happen. But we, and pandemic is one of those things. There's a long list of things that's happening in the world right now, and we talk about it like it's news, but it's not just news. It's signs that the Christ is returning and that it's the end is near and that should fire us up that should excite us but it should make us nervous because it means that there are people in our lives there are neighbors and people in the community that time is running out and they don't know jesus and they don't have that relationship and they're going to miss out and so we should get a little frantic we should get a little urgent because we don't want people to miss out we don't want people to be left behind it should excite us because we're like, yeah, we got our ticket punched, but there's people who don't have their ticket punched, so we should be worried. We should be looking for those opportunities to share that story. And this is what Paul is saying to this church. You guys are waiting. You guys are excited. And you're doing the work of making sure that not only are you guys good, but your neighbors are good, and your coworkers are good, and your family's good. And Paul is saying the same thing to us. We should be urgent. We should be desperate to see lives change because we don't want anyone to miss out. Not in Carlisle, not in Redverse, not in whatever community you're watching in. We don't want anyone to miss out. So I pray that our, our urgency and our desperation would increase that the work of God would increase all the more and that we would see lives radically changed by the life-giving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have the worship team come on up. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that you have called us to great and glorious things. I thank you, God, that you have given us a story to tell and that no matter, no matter how little we think our story is, you have given it the power to change lives and to impact people for eternity. So God, help us be faithful in, our, in, in telling that story. Help us, God, to found our life on those three great virtues, faith, hope, and love, that we do the work of faith, that we labor in love, and that we remain steadfast in the hope the hope and the joy and the anticipation that Christ is returning. Jesus, we can't wait. Help us, God, as a church to be aware, to be mindful of the things that are happening around us that tell us that your return is near.
God, help us to be sensitive to the people we need to tell our story to, who we need to show the love of Christ to. God, may our anticipation and our urgency and our desperation rise up. And may our communities be impacted because you've given us the power and the boldness to do what only we can do. God, we love you. We just pray a blessing on everyone who is out, everyone who is listening. May we be transformed and obedient and sensitive to all that you are called us to. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen.